Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. In New York on Wall Street, there's been a famous statue for years, a bull, right? Wall Street, the bulls or the bears run, okay? Um, one's good and one's not so good. Well, I, recently there's been another uh, picture on Wall Street. Let me get this going here. Let me turn the top lights down a little bit. Let's see, Nate, is this working? There we go. Uh, some of you seen this statue? It's Fearless Girl, okay? Uh, this has been added to the, uh, it's been quite a hit uh, lately. If you could look at the other side of her, uh, she's sitting there staring down this bull that's uh, running toward her. And his statue, I think, is called a Fearless Girl. And uh, this bull represents, of course, uh, the, the bulls running on Wall Street. There's another bull in the old in the old world that represents something else. This bull represents the god Baal or Baal. Anytime in the Hebrew or uh, Semitic languages, the A L E L on the end has something to do with God. This is a word for God. If you've been reading through your Old Testament, um, as we've been doing our daily Bible readings, and uh, you'll notice that uh, this God, uh, Baal, uh, Baal, shows up quite often throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes to, uh, uh, to very disastrous consequences for Israel. And uh, there's a statue of someone else who, uh, who faced down a bull, and uh, this is the statue of Elijah. And when we were there last uh, May, we went to this uh, site on Mount Carmel, and uh, we saw this statue on the site, uh, presumably the mountain where Elijah faced down the bull, faced down the gods of the god of Baal. And we're going to look at that account this morning. As you open your Bibles to First Kings, chapter 18. First Kings, chapter 18, and uh, let's have a word of prayer together. Fathers, we open your word. Uh, again, we trust that our hearts will be open to your word, that we might listen to your word. We've listened to it through the music and the scriptures this morning already. May we continue to focus on you, and may you speak to our hearts today. In Christ's name, amen. So when we were in uh, Israel, we, we visited this spot. And if you look at chapter 18 of uh, First Kings, this is a very well-known story. And, you know, you can turn some of the lights on up here. Maybe the front ones for me, Nate. Could you, the ones up here? There we go. That's good. Okay. I think you can still see. And um, this this account takes place at uh, Mount Carmel. And if you, well, this is a, I'm just, you might be familiar with this story. But if not, you can take time and read through First Kings chapter 17, 18 yourself. We're going to look at some of the highlights of this this morning. And that is in verse 16. So Obadiah, who was a, a prophet whom Elijah had come to to say, go tell Ahab I'm coming to see him. Obadiah says, no, 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 he's going he's gonna to kill me because you're not going to show up. Elijah says, yes, I will be there. You go tell King Ahab. And Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told, Ahab, told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah the prophet, he said to them, Is that you, troubler of Israel? And we'll come back to why there's trouble in Israel. Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. 
Summon the people from all over Israel. Meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtoreth who eat at Jezebel's table. So the God of Baal is the God of, of fertility of the land. He rides on the thunderstorms. The bull represents him. And he represents, and he is the God who in the Middle East was so important to these people because he was the God of rain and of storms. And this is a, a land of agriculture, and they depend on this. It was very critical. And when there was famine and lack of rain, he was the one who provided it. And when times were good, he was the one who provided it. And so they worshipped him. And Asherah was a female equivalent, Asherah or Asherah, goddess, goddess of fertility, that these were the two primary uh, pagan gods that were worshipped in, in uh, Canaan during this time. Mount Carmel is, uh, this is north in, uh, along the coast of Israel. As you come in from this area here of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, when you travel north, and just before you come across this Jezreel Valley to Nazareth and over to Galilee, Mount Carmel sits right up here looking out over the port of Haifa today. And it was in that location toward the coastal plains that they gathered that, that, that Ahab's, that Elijah says, bring, bring the God, bring the priests, bring them, and we will find out who is God. Bring them to Mount Carmel. And they come to the Mount of, of the mountain range of Carmel. Really, it's a mountain range that separates the the Shafala, the coast that flows down to the Mediterranean Sea, uh, up to the mountain range, and then to the to the east, the Jezreel Valley, and the area to Galilee, and over to Syria, up to Lebanon, in this area here. And so he says, gather them together there. And we notice what it says in verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled. Now Ahab is the king of the northern ten tribes of Israel. He is the king, and he is ruling over these tribes. And he brings and he, and he assembles all the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah, by himself, went before the people and he said this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. Um, this, I don't know how well you can see this here. Maybe you can turn the lights back down. Sorry, Nate, back and forth there. But I want you to notice, this is the Jezreel Valley. This is the breadbasket of Israel in this northern part of Canaan. Out here is the coast. Back up here is uh, Lebanon. This way is Syria. And looking down from Mount Carmel, you can see the Jezreel Valley, and you can see the beautiful farmland today. And in, in Elijah's time, this likewise was a breadbasket. This was an area that was fertile. This was an area that the rains watered as they came down from the mountains on both sides from the mountain the ranges of Mount Hermon to the east and Carmel to the west and watered this valley. And it was the sustenance of this valley that provided the food, the breadbasket, for the northern ten tribes of Israel. And so this is what's so important is because there's a famine going on. There's a famine going on because of lack of rain. Thanks, being Turn the lights back on. For the lack of rain, and because of this, uh, it's a very desperate situation, and Elijah is blamed for it. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But it's, it's at this point that Elijah comes, and he challenges the people. What is the problem? Now, let me, let me, just, let me just give you the story in a, in a thumbnail sketch, because I want to talk about the story around the story this morning. 
But if, if you if you look over in, we'll just we'll come back to this. But look over a little bit further in chapter 18, and he's, well, let's just read this. And in verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, "Choose one of the bowls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire." So they took the bowl and given them, and they prepared it. So they put the they put the bowl on the altar. And they were to, they were not to light it on fire. They were to they were this is a bowl now. It represents, of course, Baal. They put it on there to offer it to Baal, and they were to call for God to light this on fire and, and to call on Baal and Ashtoreth to light this bowl on fire. And they set this up, and there's hundreds of these prophets around this altar. And so they begin to do this. They call on the name of their God, and you'll see in verse twenty six, but there was no response. They danced around. Elijah at noon began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Now you might think that's just kind of humorous, but we have accounts from the old world of exactly this. That there's accounts that they understood Baal was gone visiting somewhere else. And he was away and needed to come back. And so what Elijah is, is taunting them with is their own thoughts about a God who is so feeble and so weak that he's here and then he's there and he can only do this in one place. But he taunts them and nothing happens. And so pretty soon, verse 28, they're, they're, they're cutting themselves with knives. They're bleeding, which was part of their, of their show to their God, how, how sincere they were. And the scene is just, uh, you know, just crazy. Hundreds of prophets dancing around this altar, cutting themselves, crying, yelling, bleeding, and nothing. And nothing happens. And then Elijah calls and says, come here, verse 30, come to me. And they came, and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been in ruins. He took twelve stones, one for each tribe of Israel, one for the tribes that descended from Jacob, where it says here, your name shall be Israel. And he, and he built this altar with the stones. In verse 30, 33, he arranged the wood, he cut the bowl in pieces, laid it in the wood, and he said, fill four large pots with water, pour it on the offering, soak this so that you know there's no trick here. Soak it. And they did it. And they did it again. And they did it a third time. And then finally, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. Prayed publicly. O oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O oh Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O oh Lord God, and that you are the one turning their hearts back again. And fire from the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. And the people cried out, Yahweh, the Lord, He is God. Yahweh, the Lord, He is God. Now, what's, what's going on? So you, so you know this story, most of you, I think. And it was, it was a fantastic display of God's power and the change that it brought in the people's hearts. The story around the story has to do with rain. It has to do with, with Baal's lack of ability to provide rain and God being in control of the rains and the weathers. But the, the, and the, what is the problem? The problem in Israel, my friends, if you look back at chapter 18, and you'll, and you'll see here that, that, that Elijah says to the people, when he comes forward to speak to them. And he, and he says to them, get, get the two bowls. But in verse 21 he says, 
How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow Him. If God, if Baal is God, follow Him. What was the problem in Israel? As you read through this, these passages in the Old Testament, you're going to find, you might think that the problem in Israel is that the people just completely forgot about Yahweh and, and had nothing to do with Him anymore. The problem in the northern ten tribes is, it's what we call syncretism, you know, um, some of you remember the old days when uh, automatic transmissions first were, you know, were the cool things, the synchro mesh, you know, that the things they work together, the transmission just works together by how it synchronizes. And syncretism is you take this and you take this and you take this and you make them work together. The problem in Israel, the problem in Israel, friends, is that Yahweh was just one of another of the gods. It wasn't so much, and in fact, it's the same thing you face today. You know, if you, if you go to people today and, and share your faith, you don't know too many atheists. You don't know too many people. You might know some, but you don't know too many who flat out say, ah, there's no God. No, there's no God. It's, oh, that's fine for you. But all gods are the same, right? They're all what? Roads up the same mountain. And this this idea that the syncretism, that that's fine for you, but this is fine for them, and this is fine for them, and this is fine for them, where, where it's all the same. And this is what Israel was doing. Yahweh was just another one of the gods. And so you'll see this throughout the Old Testament. And and, and Elijah comes and says, look it, you got to make a decision. How long are you going to waver between the two? How long are you going to do this? If God is who he says it is, who he is, then Baal worship and Astro worship are not allowed. You can't have both. It's one or the other. Which one is it? And so he gathers the people together. And he said, we'll have this contest. Call on your God and let's see if he answers. I'll call on Yahweh and let's see who answers. And we know how the story comes out. The story around the story, if you go back to chapter 17 and verse 1, Incidentally, this, this time of Elijah is an important time in Israel's history. You know, if you, if you look at the Bible, in Israel's history, there are three times, I'm going to use this, I'm just coining my own phrase, there are three times where you're going to find this explosion of miracles. You know, this intense time of, you know, you know, we read the Bible and we see the miracles and we think every day these people live with these miraculous events. Well, Yes, but there were times where there was this concentrated kind of explosion. I want to suggest to you one is the time of Moses and the Exodus. For one whole year in the land of Egypt, those miracle after miracle after miracle that devastated that land over time of a year. The crossing of the Red Sea, the water from the rock, the manna from heaven, the quail from heaven, this explosion of miracles that grab Israel's attention. I think the second time in the Bible where you'll see this concentration of miracles is the time of Elijah and Elisha. Read this section of Scripture, and you will see miracle after miracle that you, are, you probably, if you start to read through it, will remember, oh yeah, I've heard that story, this explosion of miracles. I think the third time is the time of the Gospels and the book of Acts. And every time, it is, it is never, the miracles are never an end in themselves. The miracles are always there. They are always there to support the message to God's people. You better listen. 
This is a critical time. Listen to what God is doing. Understand, He is God. And this is that time in Elijah. You'll notice it says in chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Ahab, there will be no rain. This is the Jezreel Valley. This is the breadbasket that they depend on. And Ahab comes and says, King Elijah comes and says, King Ahab, there is not going to be any rain until I say so. Now, you have to understand, if you go back just a little bit in chapter, in chapter 16, in verse 29, it gives you a little history of Ahab. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, the king down in the south, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. He reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. That was quite a feat. You read the history. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he also married Jezebel, daughter of Eshtabel, king of the Sidians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. And he made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. He, this, this guy is in first place. And he has provoked God's anger. And God calls his prophet Elijah, this man who is a, who is a human being like the rest of us, and he shows up and he says, Ahab, it is not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And over three years, and, and listen, friends, in a place like this, and an economy like this, this is devastating. There is no food. There is no water. This is devastating. And, and you read what happens in the miracles with Elijah and the widow and so on. This all takes place in this context. And, and this is why when, when, Ahab, when Ahab meets Elijah, he says, you troubler of Israel, you've done this. We all know you're the one who did this. Because he said it's not going to happen again. It's not going to rain until I say well. What's interesting is, it's in James chapter 5. Put something in Kings here. Put a piece of paper or something in Kings there. And go to James chapter 5. And in James chapter 5, we get, as we do so often in the New Testament, we get some parts of the story that are not in the Old Testament, but we believe the New Testament is inspired by God, and so this certainly took place. And this, the context of James chapter 5 is the prayer of faith. Now we could have a whole other sermon here on this. We know there's healing involved, there's anointing with oil, and so forth. But the focus of it is, is, is prayer and faith is the focus. And I want you to notice what he says here in verse 17 of chapter 5. James, brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, says this, Elijah, this is the end of his epistle almost, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. In the, in the Hebrew here, it's a, it's a, it's a Hebraism. It literally is, in prayer he prayed. It's, there's no way to say it any stronger than that. It's a very unusual way to say it. In prayer he prayed. This gives you this, this idea. He just prayed fervently. He was 
on his knees and he prayed. He went before God and he, and he begged God. He prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. That's the idea here. It doesn't tell us that in Kings. It just says in 1 Kings 17, it says, by the word of, by the word of Elijah, he went to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain anymore. But we find out what preceded that was, or at the same time he said that was, he went to God because he was so distraught over what was happening to his people and his land and his nation. He was so concerned. He was called by God as a prophet. He was just a guy called by God. And I'm sure he felt unworthy and not up to the task, but he was, he was a righteous man. This is the context here. He was a righteous man. The context in, in James here is, that you'll notice just before that in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And certainly we can put righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. He wasn't perfect, but he understood sin. And he understood what was happening that the, the very king of Israel was leading his people down this horrible path. And, he, and, and, he, and, and this God of Baal was not going to be the God who could rescue them. So he prayed earnestly in prayer. He prayed, God, allow this to happen. He, he, knew God's, he knew God's heart. And he was bold enough to go ask God to do this. And then he went to the king and said, it's not going to rain until I say it's not going to rain. And that's the context of this, of this contest with Baal. They are desperate. It has not rained. And so finally he comes to Ahab and, he's, and, and he says to him, finally, let's, let's, let's have it out. Let's find out who is God. Who is God? The other story around the story, back in, now you need to keep something in James. you got two things, you got two, two digits, okay, or a piece of paper or your phone or something. Uh, put it in there. I'll do the same thing. We'll go back, we'll go back to 1 Kings. And the other story around the story, he prayed it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain. And he prayed in prayer and praying fervently. And he goes and announces it. They have the contest. And after the contest, when, when God consumed that, that sacrifice that was drenched in water and did this tremendous miracle that no sleight of hand could have done, it was obvious. And the people cried out, he is, he is God. He is God. We understand ba- the Lord is God. And then verse 40, Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to Kishon Valley and he slaughtered them there. Well, I think that's the, that's the background of this, of this picture here. If you, if you notice in the bottom, there's a prophet of Baal. Okay. Um, I think I showed you a picture, I know, Steve Snow, and I, I showed you a picture where Steve Snow was standing right over here, and the half looked like he was going to slice Steve in half there, um, the picture I showed. But it's the prophet of Baal who's on the, who's on the altar there. That's what that statue's all about. And, and that's, that, and that's why that's there, and that's why we went to that site and looked out over the valley as well. But then I want you to notice the story around the story here. After they, after they, they punished these prophets of Baal, they deserve this. Verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink. Eat and drink. For there is the sound of heavy rain. And Ahab went off to eat and drink. Elijah, this, this righteous man of faith, he, he heard the sound, but it wasn't raining. But in his heart, he heard the sound of heavy rain. And I want you to notice what he does. 
Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, further up than we were. He went to the very top of Carmel and looked out over that desolate and dry valley. And he went up there and it says, when he gets there, he bent down to the ground. He put his face between his knees. What is he doing? James chapter 5, and he prayed again and it rained. He didn't just sit down and say, okay, that's it. This is on the, re- this is, this is on the schedule. I know what I'm doing. No, he went up there. He put it, he, he already told Ahab, I hear the sound of rain. I, I can hear it. I can hear it. It's dry as can be. There's no water, but I can hear it. Go eat and drink, Ahab. And Ahab did it. And he puts his head between his, and he begins to pray. And, and, and once again, Elijah is in prayer, praying fervently, begging, imploring with God, you can do this. And he, and he sends his servant. And he sends his servant. And he says, go look toward the sea. He told his servant. And the servant gets up and he looked. And he comes back and he says, there's nothing, Elijah. There's nothing there. And, and, and Elijah, seven times, go back and look. Go back and look. Six times he comes back, Elijah There's nothing there. It's not raining. It's as dry, it's as beautiful as it is outside. There's not a cloud in the sky. But finally, the seventh time, he comes back. The number of perfection, right? In the Old Testament, he comes back. He says, I see a cloud. He's looking off to the west because Mount Carmel is facing off to the Mediterranean Sea. I see a cloud the size of a man's fist out there over the ocean. I don't know if that man, he, you know, if he looked up and he lit his fist and measured it, that'd be a pretty big, actually be a pretty good sized cloud. I think it's more he looked out there and said, there's just a speck out there, Elijah. I, I see a cloud out there coming into the Mediterranean. I, I see it. And Elijah says, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain came down on Ahab, rode off to Jezreel, and the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. He tucked his cloak in his belt, and he ran ahead all the way down to the valley of Jezreel. And it started just pouring out. And the skies opened up, and it was not Baal, it was Yahweh. But it was because, listen, you say, did it rain because Elijah prayed? Would it have not rained if Elijah didn't pray? Would it have? You know what? James tells us the whole point of what James is saying here in James chapter 5. The righteous person's prayers mean something. He prayed. He was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly it would not rain and it did not rain in the land for three and a half. Notice that James tells us three and a half years. Now friends, connect that with Daniel and Revelation. Three and a half years. Half the time the tribulation is a significant time of God's judgment. For three and a half years, it did not rain. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Did Elijah's prayers matter? What? Yes! Do your prayers and my prayers matter? Is God sovereign? Does God already know what's going to happen? Yes. Has God asked us to pray? Yes. 
Do our prayers mean anything? Yes. When we're walking with the Lord, not perfect. I appreciate the song you sang this morning, Flores Faith. It reminds us that we're not perfect. But we are called to know the difference between sin and righteousness. Mark has asked us to pray for this. I mean, think, have you thought about that? Those numbers he gave you in a, in a Western democracy now like Japan, where you can present the gospel. It's not illegal. And that percentage of people, when those students come here to our country and they, and they hear the gospel, we can go there and share the gospel. Do our prayers really matter? You know, when, when someone like Mark asks us to pray, do we say, okay, I'll remember that. And then three months later, did you remember to pray for them? I'm just as guilty as you and say, oh, yeah, you know, I forgot. Pray. It matters. Elijah, the story around the story of the contest at Carmel is that prayer matters. Elijah Beg God, don't let it rain. And then he, after he announced to Ahab, he went and prayed and said, God, let it rain. Six times, it's, Elijah, it's not raining. Go back, keep going, I'm going to keep praying. I don't know how long he sat there with his head between his, his head, his head between his knees, begging God, and the, and the skies opened up, and it rained. The story around the story. The prayers, of a righteous person matter. The story around the story, friends, is, you know, as we've been reading the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm, I've been reminded over and over again, it's so easy to look at those people and say, how could they not get it? How could they sink so low? How could they sacrifice their own babies to Molech? How could they worship Baal and think that, that that pagan god represented by that bull is somehow something to do with their lives? This god who they even recognized took vacations and went away and took naps? Behold Israel, your god neither slumbers nor sleeps. Psalm 121. How could they do that? And you read those accounts and you think, how could they synchronize everything else and mesh these things together so they all just, God was just another part of, of, of all the other gods? And I am reminded, here we are today with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Indwelling Holy Spirit. And how often do we synchronize and try to mesh everything else together and justify it? I know I do. And I assume you do too sometimes. And try to mesh things, things together. And, and we hear the words of the prophet. If God is God, then serve Him. If He's not, you can't do both. It's not going to work. The final message around the message in this story. I really love what James, James, this is, this, this is the brother of the Lord who accused his brother of being crazy at one time. Remember that story in the Gospels? They tried to, they said he's gone insane. They tried to take him away. He, you know, after Jesus died, he comes to it. And, and James, the brother of the Lord, he reminds us, Elijah was a man just like us. Just like us. 
Mark reminded us, you, you, God calls you and you think, I'm not, this is not my field. I'm an engineer. I can talk airplanes, you know. But God calls you to it. God never calls you to something he won't equip you to do. You know, we got this picture of Elijah with the, you know, the statue, right? I mean, look at him up there. I mean, that's a great picture. He's a, he's powerful. He's, and he's, and the whole, the whole country, everybody changed and everything changed because of his faithfulness, his prayers, his, his pleading with God. But let me conclude with this. I think you probably know what happens next. Because what happens next is the next day, Ahab's wife Jezebel, right? It doesn't have a good ring to it, does it? Says, I'm going to get that man. I'm going to get, who, who does he think he is? I'm going to get that man. And what does, what does Elijah do? What's he do? He runs away. He runs all the way to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. He goes all the way down to Mount Horeb. And he, and he says, God, just take my life. Now this is the man who just, right? He says, God, I've had it. Just take my life. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any difference. Just, just take me. Take me now. God comes to him with an angel and feeds him and says, hey, what are you doing down here, Elijah? Just take my life, God. He was a man just like us. He was just like you, just like me. He was a human. He wasn't, he wasn't a superhero. He was not a Marvel comic person. <laughs> he was not Spider-Man. He was a person just like us. And, and he was discouraged. He was so discouraged, he just ran for his life because of Jezebel. He ran for his life. He said, just take me, God. I, this whole thing, I'm just so discouraged. I'm just, just take me. In chapter 19, God comes to him. And Elijah's down at Mount Sinai. And he's, he's in the cave. At Mount Sinai, where it all started for Israel. And the Lord comes to him. It says, and it says, Elijah, go out there and stand in the doorway of that cave. Verse 11 of chapter 19. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for I'm about to pass by. Now, this is the same God who just consumed that, that altar with that blast of fire and power. He says, Elijah, get out there. I'm going to come by. You get ready. I'm coming. And Elijah goes out there. And it says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Some of you have been in earthquakes, right? I've been in a few smaller ones. Well, they were too small. One of them. Standing right in my office last time it happened. And after the earthquake, there was nothing. And after the earthquake came a fire and the fire that consumed that, so the, the wind's tearing the rocks apart. The earthquake is shaking the ground. The fire comes and consumes, burning hot, burning in front of Elijah. But God wasn't there yet. And after the fire came a, really Hebrew says a sound of nothing. A gentle wind. After the fire and after the earthquake. And after the storm, there was a gentle sound of nothing. And God was there. And God was there. That's how he appeared to Elijah. And he says to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you down here in Mount Sinai? 
Elijah says, I've been zealous to the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken your altars. They put your prophets to death. The sword, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. She is trying to kill me. And I love what the Lord says to Elijah. Lord doesn't berate him. Lord doesn't remind him. Elijah, what's wrong with you? Don't you get it? He just says, Elijah, it's not true. There are several hundred other prophets who have not bowed to Baal. You should know that. Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back, do this, do that, do that. Go find Elisha. And he does it. And he does it. Friends, the story around the story. We need to be, you know, our Bible, our Bible is full of these true stories of people of faith. We're talking about people of faith from different places that we visited in Israel. Every time you go to Israel and to Jordan, every place you go, oh yeah, this happened here, this happened here, this happened here, this happened here. Our Bible is full of these stories of people. Why didn't God use that space to answer all of our questions of theology? Why isn't the whole Bible the book of Romans, huh? Listen, friends, it's a reminder to us if we take time to read it that God's work is not done by Marvel comic superheroes. It's done by people like you and people like me who know if anybody really knew what we were really like, they probably wouldn't even like us. No one but me knows how Unlikely I am to be in this place, to do this thing. God, I'm, you know, that's the whole point. Because doesn't Paul say, listen, if you line up the sinners in the whole world, the first person in line is me. I tried to kill Christians. But God did that on purpose. So nobody would think they're beyond God's call of grace and mercy, and God using them to accomplish His will. It doesn't have to be on Mount Carmel and meet be in your own home with your own children. It might be in your own quiet time with your own prayers. It might be helping out Vacation Bible Adventure, working at camp. It might be sharing at Boeing with the other engineers. It might be at the workplace as you're building. This is exactly how God's work gets done. And I'm so thankful that it was a still, small voice that God showed up with Elijah to remind him, it's not what you think, Elijah. This is my work, not yours. That's what God has called us to. Let's close our service, our final hymn. Come up and share our worship time. God is good. God uses us. God calls us. We don't deserve it. But we're here today because of Him. Would you please stand with us as we share our last song, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus. Let's close our service in prayer. Heavenly Father, we've just sung, All That Thrills Our Soul is Jesus. In our blessed Lord, we see our, the face of God. And we are reminded that our Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in all ways like He experienced humanity to the fullest. He was hungry. He was tired. 
He was tempted and tempted and tempted and tempted without sin. And because of that, Lord, we have salvation today. And we come to you and we thank you. And Father, we pray that you would humble our hearts, that you would open our hearts to see your hand at work wherever you have called us, not to where you've called somewhere else, someone else, but where you've called us. And that we, with the saints in the Bible, men and women, would stand by faith that we would be servants, we would pray and pray and pray and never give up praying, and that we would walk with you this week. All that thrills our hearts this day is our Lord Jesus Christ. We gather in his name, we leave this place, and we say together, Amen.